Welcome back. This week, we are catching up with the Girardi case. There is a ton going on from new potential disbarments to what's going on with Tom Girardi's competency to a big win in court for Erica Girardi that I have not seen covered and Erica Girardi meeting with some of the Girardi case victims that were featured in The Housewife and The Hustler just this past weekend. There is a ton to catch up on, but if you are constantly trying to catch up in the summer and need something for dinner, our sponsor Green Chef might be for you. Discover exciting new flavors that support your healthy lifestyle with Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Get 50% off plus free shipping with code EMILYBAKER50 at greenchef.com slash EMILYBAKER50. This is our most exciting offer from Green Chef, Run, Don't Walk. All right, let's get into today's episode and talk about all the Girardi tea. And yes, those earrings, those earrings, the scandal earrings are back in the appellate court, has a whole bunch to say about them. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm Emily D. Baker, the internet's go-to legal analyst and big fan of the cursey words. I've been a licensed attorney for over 17 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I break down the legal side of pop culture and entertainment stories we can't stop talking about. We should just get into it. Let's go. We really do have a ton of Girardi updates. I have been covering this now since 2020. If you need a road so far, I don't even know if I can do it quickly, but Tom Girardi, larger-than-life plaintiff's attorney in Southern California, mostly in Los Angeles, was also kind of thought of as a kingmaker because he could get people appointed to the bench. He was friends with the sheriff and the head of the police department and knew all of the judges and was friends with the governor and on and on and on. Most people started to really know him when Erica Jane joined the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because they are married. The legal community knew who Tom Girardi was well before that, but the rest of the world kind of met Tom Girardi through the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, through Erica Girardi, and through the fact that he had been a part of the Aaron Brockovich cases, and that was one of his big claims to fame. Now it seems, in hindsight, years down the road, that he used that win in the Brockovich case to continue to bolster his own reputation while doing things that never should have been done. He is in an involuntary bankruptcy of his law firm and of himself personally. He is currently in a conservatorship. He is facing multiple indictments in two different states for stealing from clients. It has been proven that in some cases he has, without a doubt, stolen from clients. He has now been disbarred. There is a massive question about where all of this money went. What money can be clawed back into the bankruptcy and redistributed? Will he ever see a trial on the criminal indictments that are pending against him? Will his competency be such that he cannot stand trial? It was speculated when he went into a conservatorship that perhaps the timing was a bit too convenient. However, it could also be the case that this mental decline was present and everyone around him was propping him up because he was the one bringing in the money, fueling everyone's very lavish lifestyle. So we will see that competency hearing coming up at the end of August. And there's been a lot of motions going on in the criminal prosecution in Los Angeles regarding Tom Girardi's competency. 
Today, we are going over a large win on appeal for Erica Girardi over the scandal earrings that I really haven't seen reported on. Why? Because there's so much legal news going on. It is this, these cases, the amount of files I have on these cases blows my mind constantly because it's not just the underlying case and the Lion Air case and everything that came out of that. It's multiple indictments, tons of civil lawsuits, two different bankruptcies, lawsuits within the bankruptcy, the disbarment of Tom Girardi, the new disbarment um, or the new pending disbarment of his son-in-law and Keith Griffin, who were both involved in the Lion Air cases, which we will also go over today. So a big win in court for Erica. Erica actually filmed a sit down with some of the victims that were in The Housewife and The Hustler. And that seemed to be filmed for the Los Angeles Times. The LA Times and Law 360 have really done excellent reporting on this case and have also been at it since 2020, peeling back the layers of everything Tom Girardi was up to, talking to those involved, talking to victims, talking to witnesses. And if you're interested in all of what's going on with the California bar, you might be interested in my interview with Jay Edelson that was a part of the podcast a while back, and it'll be linked in the show notes and stuff down below. So Erica stuff, the disbarment stuff, the state bar imposes a new rule. Shockingly, the state bar also settled with the LA Times. I was actually very surprised by that. And, and we've got to talk about all of the competency motions. So that is what we're going on today. Emily, that sounds like a very full episode. Yeah, it's gonna be, but I'm not reading every single document verbatim. Some of these things we are going to have to summarize today. So don't you worry. We're going to do a summary of some of them. But first, let's talk about Erica Girardi meeting with the victims of Tom Girardi's theft from clients, seemingly for the first time. And we've watched this play out unlike anything else on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Cameras were rolling as these stories started to break in the LA Times, as the bankruptcy was forced, as it became apparent that Tom Girardi didn't have the money to pay back the $2 million owed to the Lion Air crash victims and just wild stuff. So over the weekend on social media through um, the Instagram accounts, I follow Zach Peter, who has a podcast, and then the talk of Shane Kiki, who also has a podcast. They were both at the Paul's Ice Cream event that Kimberly Archie was holding. It is a fundraising event for an ice cream company in her son's honor. She had also worked at Girardi Keys and is also best friends with Kathy Rugomez. Kathy Rugomez is one of the most, um, I think, name recognizable Girardi victims because the Rugomez case was going on for so long. And the Rigomez family actually sought a judgment against Tom Girardi before all these bankruptcies came down. So they had gone to court with another attorney, proven that Tom Girardi had kept their settlement money, proven that they were entitled to over $11 million, attached all of his properties so that they could get that settlement back and had gone through that entire process to prove that money had been taken from them before the rest of the House of Cards started to crumble. So at this event, Page Six and uh, Zach and Kiki and others that were at the event reported that Erica sat down with cameras rolling for the LA Times to have a conversation with victims that she has not always well acknowledged 
on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, and it seems that most of the victims that I have seen have never said, you know, Erica needs to give back all of the money that she benefited from this. It's been Erica needs to acknowledge the damage that was done by her husband. And Erica is still involved in litigation, both in the bankruptcy and she's been sued civilly elsewhere, though we still do not have the thing that shows that Erica knew that the money that Tom Girardi was spending on their lavish lifestyle was coming from victims of his, coming from his clients and not coming from legitimately earned legal fees, which is staggering to me because he had billion-dollar settlements, multiple billion-dollar settlements. He had settlements in the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and was earning 30-plus percent on that and fees and costs or and costs. And, you know, when I think of what's 30% of a billion, I'm like, all? I mean, I don't all? Money, all. Like, it's these become numbers that are so large that it's just like, it's everything's fine. Like, it's just fine. The money's just there. It's uber wealth. It's just fine. And so as I keep looking at this case, where the money went is a massive question for me. How did someone get 30% of hundreds and hundreds of millions on the regular, plus all their expenses paid for, and still not have the money? It didn't all go to the private jet. It didn't all go to jewelry. Where is this money? It's still staggering to me. It's so much money. So let's take a look at what page six has to say. Erica Jane meets with victims. Ex-Tom Girardi allegedly defrauded. Came here with an open heart. So um, Erica Jane is trying to make amends. Page six exclusively confirms, and we know um, from Instagram that Evan Real was there on the site. I don't know about the other authors of this article. Page six exclusively confirms the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills star met with multiple individuals whom her estranged ex-Tom Girardi allegedly cheated out of settlement money. I will go one further because I am not a print periodical. With the Rigomez family, that's been proven. That's not alleged. He, he did that. Quote, I came here with an open heart to listen to what's going on, hear what happened, and figure out how to be a part of how to move forward together in a way that's beneficial for all victims, Jane tells us. The reality star 52 was dressed conservatively when she arrived at the Valley Inn restaurant in Los Angeles for Paul's ice cream event on Sunday, according to an eyewitness. And then on page six, you can see some of the images from Instagram um, that shows Erica Jane not just supporting Paul's Ice Cream, the foundation, by taking photos on the step and repeat, but also taking photos with um, some of the victims of her husband. It goes on to say the company was founded by Kathy Rugomez and Kimberly Archie, a former employee at Girardi's now defunct law firm, Girardi Keys. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills star Erica Jane met with victims who were allegedly cheated out of settlement money by her estranged husband, Tom Girardi. In addition to Girardi's acquaintances and alleged victims, Jane, who donned a pink floral blouse and black trousers, was seen doing a sit-down interview with the Los Angeles Times in front of a camera crew. Notably, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is not currently filming, so whatever camera crew this was in front of, I'll be interested to see what comes out of this. Um, but there was a sit down with the L.A. Times and a camera crew. Quote, they looked very serious, but engaged during their discussion. The eyewitness tells page six, noting that the pretty mess author appeared to be in good spirits. 
Kathy is the mother of burn victim Joseph Rugomez, whose settlement money was allegedly swindled by Girardi. Again, when it comes to the Rugomez family, the only reason I take issue with the word, word allegedly is because it's been proven in court multiple times over at this point. But I understand. She previously claimed her family was owed $11 million from a 2020 lawsuit after her son was critically injured in the San Bruno gas pipeline explosion. She was awarded 11 Her family was awarded $11 million, um, and that's been verified through the bankruptcy court. Their story garnered national attention after they were featured in Hulu's 2021 document, The Housewife and the Hustler, about Jane and Girardi's legal troubles. We've been talking about the Rigomas family on this on this um, channel since since 2020 with that judgment because it was one of the first things where we're like, no, this has been, they sued, this has been proven in court. The mother and son accused Girardi of misappropriating the funds from Joseph's settlement. I didn't, I didn't intend to pick apart page six's um, writing because it's probably the attorneys for page six, but no, that's in court documents. That's been proven. It's been proven. The Bravo Lab met with her estranged husband's alleged victims, and the article has a number of pictures of them um, together. That had to be an awkward moment for all of us. We thought he could win the case for us, Joseph's sister Jamie said in the documentary. We didn't know how much of a snake he would be along the way. Jane also spoke with Josie Hernandez, who reached out to Girardi for legal counsel in 2014 after becoming ill following several failed surgeries to get an implant for incontinence issues. And we've heard a lot about these these group of cases because Girardi took on a ton of them. Us Weekly reported that Girardi Key settled the case for $135,000, but Hernandez claimed in 2019 that she still hasn't seen a dime. In on August 2020 voicemail played by Hernandez in the Hulu documentary, Girardi told her, I don't want you mad at me. I'm working like a dog to try to get this thing resolved. I'm a good guy, by the way. We also heard that in um, voicemails left to the Edelson PC law firm that were attached to one of their legal complaints that I've played here in other uh, content. However, after Hernandez filed a complaint with the bar, she confirmed that the law firm received her settlement money three months prior to the voicemail. Nancy Marston, a third woman impacted by Girardi's alleged misdeeds, was also at the event Sunday. According to court documents, Jane allegedly received nearly $250,000 in payments from 2012 to 2021 in a settlement case involving the former actress's lottery winnings. The Bravo Liberty has denied having knowledge about her estranged husband's alleged crimes. Well, he is pending federal indictments and she is pending uh, lawsuits. The money with regard to the lottery cases has any future payments are going directly into the bankruptcy. That was resolved very much at the beginning of all of this. After her conversation with Jane Marston, who doesn't consider herself a quote-unquote victim, tells Page Six that the two women are in a good place. She will further detail her involvement with Girardi in her upcoming book, The Serpent's Tooth, out August 15th. I think we're moving on, and I think that maybe we can help each other, Marston says. We can help some of the victims. Meanwhile, Archie applauded Jane's effort in reaching out to the victims, telling Page Six, I think that it's even difficult for some attorneys and people who prosecute these kind of cases to understand it. So I think it would be irrational to think Erica knew. So Kimberly Archie is on record with Page Six saying she also does not know whether Erica knew all of what Tom Girardi was up to. And we heard this again in the interview I did with Jay Edelson is that Edelson PC couldn't conceive that Tom Girardi was stealing the client money. 
it didn't even occur to them until they got pretty far down the line when they're like, this, where is this money? But even then they're like, this has to be an error. This has to be a mistake. They could not wrap their minds around the fact that this prominent attorney would steal from clients. They just couldn't. And it's part of what took them so long to go to the court with it. And it's something that we heard them talk about in the hearings that I covered when I sat through all of the um, all of the order to show cause hearings, something that Jay Edelson talked about on the stand, that they really could not conceive that this is what was going on. And I think the people that should be held most responsible in this are the people we're starting to see be held most responsible. And that's Tom Girardi and the other lawyers in the law firm, because the other lawyers in the law firm absolutely knew this was going on. And we'll see that as we get later in the episode and look at some of the new allegations from the state bar against those attorneys, including Tom Girardi's son-in-law. Now, if you're Tom Girardi's daughter, how mad are you that, that your father has has looped your husband into all of this. Because I, I don't know if Tom Girardi's daughter knew either. I, I can't fathom it because he's also facing criminal charges and facing disbarment. Getting back to the article from page six, uh, to continue Kimberly Archie's quote, I never thought she stole money or anything like that. My only thing was really just how it came across to the victims and how this eases any of that obviously, because she's making a concerted effort to make the victims feel better. I think a, the victims in this case wanted to be acknowledged. Um, and I think Erica Girardi, for the last few seasons of Housewives of Beverly Hills, was in defense mode. Um, and the victims wanted to be acknowledged. She did have a lot of lawsuits and allegations pointed at her. So I understand why she was in defense mode, but she was in defense mode. And the victims just wanted to be acknowledged. Jane previously told Page Six that she has empathy for her estranged husband's alleged victims, including the widows and orphans who lost loved ones in the 2018 Lion Air Flight 610 crash. Of course, I have empathy for them, she told Page Six last year. I had empathy for them then, and I have empathy for them now, and I trust they will be taken care of. We will see about that. Girardi, 84, who is now living with Alzheimer's and dementia in a memory care facility, allegedly embezzled more than $15 million from his clients. That is coming from the criminal filings in California only. When you include Illinois, that's upwards of 18 million in criminal allegations. But when you look at the bankruptcy, it's over a hundred million dollars. That's not all from clients. Some of that's from lenders, but it's into the hundred million dollar range that they're like, where is the money and how are the debts this high? One month after Jane filed for divorce from the disgraced attorney in November 2020, she filed on election day 2020. Remember that? The former couple was sued by Edelson PC for embezzlement related to the Lion Air flight crash. The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills star denied the charges against her and was later dismissed from the fraud lawsuit. However, she is still facing a $50 million racketeering lawsuit and a $2.1 million aiding and abetting lawsuit. I think that conflates some of the things that she's facing in the lawsuit against Edelson PC. The Edelson PC lawsuit in Illinois was dropped and then refiled in that racketeering lawsuit in California. Um, but there were other lawsuits that she was dismissed out of. So this kind of, there's so many civil lawsuits. Again, if, if you don't have a chart to track this case, it can get confusing. But the, the lawsuit from Edelson PC was 
was withdrawn and closed because they refiled it in California. And that's that $50 million racketeering lawsuit. And then the aiding and abetting lawsuit is separate. Jane told page six, I like where I'm going to end. It's going to be fine. I'm not quite sure what that means. Um, Even if I didn't feel that way, I'd still tell you I felt good about it, but I really do. It's going to be just fine. She continued. I do want to say this. This is a very long process, and I think that people need to understand these are very complex problems so they don't get wrapped up right away. And that's one thing I think people have misunderstood. I said this would be a long time, and I meant it. She was absolutely right. I said the exact same thing. This is going to be still years of litigation. The bankruptcy is actually moving like daily um, on trying to wrap things up. There are two bankruptcies, the personal one and then the law firm one. And those are not going to be wrapped up anytime soon. And then all the other civil lawsuits, plus the criminal, um, the criminal cases are not done. Plus, we still have the tax entities. We have the tax entities as debtors in the bankruptcy for the law firm and personally, but we haven't seen any criminal tax filings. And I think those are probably out there. Um, Based on everything we've seen, I think Tom Girardi couldn't have been honest about his taxes the same way we see in a Murdoch case. If you're stealing all that money, you can't be honest on your taxes because the money is being stolen. So it's it's the this case is the reason I started covering the Murdoch case because I was like, no way, no way there's another lawyer doing this. I have not worked as a plaintiff's attorney. When I worked in civil, I worked as a research attorney for a judge. The the fact that these two very prominent attorneys have been caught makes me wonder how much this happens. It really makes me wonder how much this happens. And I hope that these conversations help clients know if something seems weird, you need you need to start asking questions. All right, y'all, let's talk about the scandal earrings. But first, we need to take a pause for our sponsor. Life can be unexpected, but with today's sponsor, Policy Genius, at least you can start to prepare for the unexpected and have a peace of mind about it. Policy Genius was built to modernize the insurance industry. Their technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $25 per month for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius has licensed agents who work for you, not for the insurance companies. And there are no added fees and they keep your data private. It's no wonder that Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net and you deserve a better way to buy it. Whether you're a parent or a caregiver, Policy Genius can help you get life insurance today. Head to policygenius.com slash Lawnard or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quote and find out how much you can save. That's policygenius.com slash Lawnard. Let's get back to today's show. Do you remember the scandal earrings? Erica Girardi's massive Diamond earrings that we saw last season on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. They were taken back by the bankruptcy trustee. The bankruptcy trustee claimed that they were property of the bankruptcy estate because they were purchased out of a client trust account. If you're going, wait, what? Wait, what? If 
They were purchased directly out of a client trust account when Tom Girardi wrote a little check for $750,000, indicated that it was costs. You've probably heard me lose my mind about this several times if you've been following my coverage of this case for a while, because again, when lawyers take fees from contingency cases like this, where you have catastrophic injury, you get a lump sum settlement of however much money and the attorneys will take their fee first. So if you get a million dollars and the fees 30%, they take 30%. Then they deduct their costs. Costs are filing fees, fees to fax things if anybody still does that anymore, fees for couriers to take things to the courthouse, fees for experts, those types of fees. So first they take their attorney's fees, then they take their costs. And after they take their costs, the client gets what's left or should get what's left. Um, In the Jordy case, that got a little sticky, but they should get what's left. But when they take their fees first, then it doesn't really incentivize them to keep their costs low, right? Because they get their fees out of the 100% and then the costs come out of whatever, you know, the, the 70 or whatever percent that's left. And then the client gets the remaining balance. So the earrings being written out of a client trust account for $750,000 and that being written off as cost to them, not fees to the attorney, cost, it just absolutely hurt my brain and and outraged me. So we've seen these earrings um, that I'm pulling up for the audio audience. They're the big, square, massive diamonds um, that we've all seen so frequently and heard so much about that were worn very prominently throughout um, Real Housewives. And then we saw them get auctioned off and purchased at auction for less, much less than $750,000. Even though the scandal earrings got sold, there was still ongoing litigation about the earrings because Erica. Girardi was arguing to the bankruptcy court through her attorney that those earrings were not property of the bankruptcy estate. The court ruled against her. The earrings got sold. And this went up on appeal. And guess who the appellate court ruled in favor of? Erica Girardi. The appellate court ruled, in fact, that the earrings were not property of the bankruptcy estate. So we're going to take a quick look at a little bit of what the appellate court said. This is now being remanded back to the bankruptcy court because Erica Girardi allowed the earrings to be sold. That money has already been taken into the bankruptcy estate and distributed. But the appellate court ruled that the earrings do not actually belong to the bankruptcy estate. So the bankruptcy court might owe Erica Girardi $750,000, which isn't even how much the earrings brought in. So are you ready to take a look at this? Are you ready to take a look at this? I think so. Are you ready for it? I feel like I should start singing Taylor Swift. Are you ready for it? Boom. (laughs) All right, let's, let's go. I went to the end of the order so I could give you the end, the end part first. Here's the end part. The trustee has made no persuasive showing that the separate identity of the money was completely lost. 
because the trustee has failed to show that the funds were commingled, the client funds that were used to buy the earrings, she has not met her burden to show that the earrings were estate property. The bankruptcy court order is reversed in part, and this matter is remanded for further proceedings in accordance with the order. So now the bankruptcy court has to figure out what to do with these earrings. The appellate court really lined out the background of this quite well. In December 2020, the creditors of the law firm Girardi Keys filed an involuntary Chapter 7 bankruptcy case against the law firm and an involuntary Chapter 7 bankruptcy case against Thomas Girardi. Upon her appointment, the trustee began to investigate and scrutinize Girardi Keyes' business records. She discovered a suspicious withdrawal from a client trust account Girardi Keyes managed in connection with the Resulin litigation, a mass tort action on behalf of diabetes patients in which Girardi Keyes was counsel for certain plaintiffs. The trustee found a check drawn on March 2, 2007 from the Resulin trust account, the client trust account in the amount of $750,000 payable to M&M Jewelers. The ledger entry for the trust account identified $750,000 payment as quote-unquote costs. The check was signed by both Tom Girardi and then Girardi Keys partner, James O'Callaghan. Can you imagine just casually signing a check for $750,000? Like, what is life anyway? The trustee also discovered a letter from Tom Girardi indicating that in 2007, he bought appellant $750,000 earrings to replace a pair of hers that had been stolen. Can you even imagine? I can't. I, I can't. Upon discovering this information, the trustee requested that the appellant turn the earrings over to the estate. After appellant refused, the trustee filed a motion to turn over of property. A hearing was held before the bankruptcy Judge Russell on June 28, 2022, on July 11th, 2022, Judge Russell granted the motion. This appeal was filed July 26, 2022, like almost a year ago. Appellant never sought a stay of Judge Russell's order, nor did she object to any of the orders authorizing the auction and sale of the earrings. The earrings were sold at auction on December 7th, 2022. The trustee has since dispersed the fees and costs to the auctioneer. Appellant raises two issues. Appellant Girardi. One, whether the bankruptcy court erred as a matter of law when it determined that the trustee's claims were not barred by the applicable statute of limitations. And two, whether the bankruptcy court erred as a matter of law in determining that the underlying property was property of the bankruptcy estate. The court ruled on the second factor, so we're going to focus on the second factor. The court found that the statutes of limitations weren't a problem here and ruled that these were not property of the bankruptcy estate. And I'm going to go to the court's reasoning for that because I'm sure at this point you're like, but he wrote the check improperly out of a client trust account, right? So we are now in section E of the appellate court's ruling estate property and turnover motion. The trustee has not met her burden to show that the earrings were estate property. As relevant here to support a cause of action for turnover, a trustee has the burden of proof by a preponderance of the evidence. If you're going, but Emily, preponderance is like the lowest burden ever. It's like a myth of the evidence. It's our lacroix of the evidence. It is a whiff of the evidence. Yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. You have, You are accurate. The trustee has to establish by a burden of proof a preponderance of the evidence to establish that the property is in possession of a non-custodial third party and that the property constitutes property of the estate. 
Federal law determines what property is included in the estate, while state law controls whether the debtor has a legal or equitable interest in the property at the time the bankruptcy case is filed. Debtor being the Girardi Keys law firm. The trustee has failed to meet her burden to show that the earrings are estate property. The $750,000 used to purchase the earrings came from the Resilin trust account. This was an express trust account that Girardi Keys managed for its clients. Money that Girardi Keys held in trust for the clients is not, was not, estate property because the debtor does not own an equitable interest in property he holds in trust for another. That interest is not property of the estate. So what the appellate court has said is that Tom Girardi's law firm, Girardi Keys, is not entitled to the money within that client trust account. So the money that he stole out of the client trust account to buy the scandal earrings was never his. So the estate can't claw it back because it was never his to begin with. Sometimes the way the law works when the law is following the letter of the law feels like it shouldn't work that way. So the um, exception to the rule is that it wasn't yours, but you took it, but it wasn't yours. So the bankruptcy can't get it back. Could the clients try to sue for it back? I don't even know at this point because the earrings have now been sold and the money has been distributed by the bankruptcy estate. This is now a fucking mess. Let's continue on. The trustee's only basis for her argument that the earrings are estate property is a claim that the trust funds are presumptively estate property because Girardi Keys commingled the money in the trust account, which you can't do. It is true that commingled funds in a bank account controlled by the debtor are presumptively estate property. Because the money could have been used to pay other creditors, it presumptively constitutes property of the debtor's estate. And the party seeking to exclude those funds from the estate bears the burden to show that the commingled funds are not estate property. However, merely stating that the funds have been commingled does not make it so. The trustee must show by a preponderance of the evidence, a whiff of evidence, a, a hint of evidence, that the funds were commingled such that they are presumptively estate property. And this is the factual problem here, as I am interjecting, is that they're not commingled because he just took the money out of the trust account and wrote a check to the jeweler. He didn't commingle it into other operating accounts. It went from the client trust account, was stolen, and then went to the jeweler. So it was never his because it's stolen. But therefore, the bankruptcy estate can't take it because it doesn't belong to him. So do you go after Erica for receipt of stolen property? How do you claw back this money to Erica? Because Erica, according to the appellate court, should never have had to turn over the earrings. And down the road, Erica could have taken the earrings when the IRS comes and is like, hey, so you have all this tax liability from when you were married um, and your estranged spouse is in a uh, care facility and isn't earning any income and is in his 80s and you were both married, so you are now responsible for all these debts. She could have used those earrings to presumably pay off any of the debts she's going to have. Furthermore, the bankruptcy of Tom Girardi personally 
we've already seen that nothing's going to be discharged. So whatever doesn't get paid off, those personal debts that don't get paid off are going to be carried by her because she was the spouse at the time. So there is still like a crater of debt waiting for Erica to deal with. And those earrings, you know, to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars could have come in handy then, but they've already been sold. And I wonder why that choice was made to let them be sold. Is it because that when she filed this appeal, the public was like, she's taking money out of the mouths of the victims? Is it because she was like, we'll figure it all out down the road anyway? I don't know. I don't know why they chose not to ask for a stay of the sale, because then this ruling would have come down and then the court would have said, here's your earrings. I mean, me making a hand gesture to the camera like they're just going to hand the earrings back. These earrings were picked up in like a Brinks truck or whatever. But like, here's the earrings back, put them in a, in a, I don't know, safety deposit box or a, a whatever. I don't know. But how do you, now the amount that they sold for at auction has been portioned out throughout the bankruptcy. What do you even do with that? I, so the court goes on to say in their ruling, however, merely stating that the funds have been commingled does not make it so. The trustee must show by a preponderance of evidence that the funds were commingled such that they are presumptively a state property and California client trust accounts are to be established and maintained consistent with the attorney's or law firm's duty of professional responsibility. Guess what the duties of a special, the duties of professional responsibility don't let you do? Did you all just yell, steal the money? Right steal the money. Funds belong to the lawyer and law firm shall not be depositive or otherwise commingled with funds held in trust except funds reasonably sufficient to pay bank charges and funds belonging in part to a client or other person and in part presently or potentially to the lawyer or law firm in which the case in which case the portion belonging to the lawyer or law firm must be withdrawn at the earliest reasonable time after the lawyer or law firm's interest in that portion becomes fixed. So if all the money goes into the client trust account, the lawyer is allowed to say, okay, this 30% is legal fees, that comes out. This percentage is cost, that comes out. And then the rest stays in there. The ruling goes on to say, there are no facts in the record that indicate when Girardi Key's cost and fees became fixed or whether they were withdrawn at that time. The trustee has made no pervasive showing that the separate identity of the money was completely lost. Because the trustee has failed to show that the funds were commingled, she has not met her burden to show that the earrings were a state property. The bankruptcy court's order is reversed. I don't know how the bankruptcy court is going to unwind this, but I thought it was a really interesting thing to cover because when I talk about legality and morality being two different things, the courts following the letter of the law um, can get it right, the appellate court believes this is the legally proper result. But you're like, wait a second, so you stole it and the bankruptcy court can't go get it back because it never belonged to you in the first place. Because if it belonged to you in the first place, then it wouldn't be stolen. And it feels very circular and ridiculous. But what this ruling shows is that the remedy with regard to the earrings is either the clients have to figure out that those earrings went to Erica and then sue for them back because they should have gone into their client trust account and then be sold and then distributed in portion to the clients. And there were 
lots and lots of resident clients. So then you end up getting a check for like $50 and it's like, here's your check, but then attorney's fees would come out of that. So would they even get that? And this is why clients don't go try to fight for this money back. But the money was, or the earrings came from monies that belong to the clients. And because the client funds are not the attorney's funds, they were not commingled. And the argument, part of the argument with Erica Girardi's attorney was, hey, if Tom Girardi hadn't taken his fees out yet, this could be money that he was entitled to anyway as legal fees, and he just didn't do it properly. So this money might actually not be property of the bankruptcy estate. They argued it in two ways. Either way, the bankruptcy judge is now going to have to figure out what the fuck to do about these earrings that were purchased for $750,000, sold at auction for like 200 something thousand dollars, and that money's already been dispersed. Do, does the bankruptcy court have to give back Erica Girardi $750,000, the value of what they took and sold? Or does the judge just go, um, well, we sold them for $250,000. Here's $250,000. And then she can use that to turn around and pay off other debts in the personal side of the bankruptcy. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how they're going to uh, resolve this within the bankruptcy, but I am fascinated to find out. So scandal earrings should have stayed with Erica Girardi, according to the appellate court. How, how is that the result? Well, because the law firm was not entitled to the money because it was not commingled. So the bankruptcy estate can't get to the money. So bankruptcy was not the vehicle to claw back the earrings. Civil or criminal lawsuits would then be that other vehicle. And because all of that probably felt really gross, let's talk about people who are actually getting in trouble for everything that's going on at Girardi Keys. Keith Griffin and David Lira are the other two attorneys who were working on the Lion Air case that was really what toppled, in my opinion, this house of cards. As Edelson PC brought to the court's attention, hey, um, our clients still haven't been paid. And the court was like, when were funds distributed? And then that court froze everything. Um, when Judge Durkin was like, we're all going to find out where this money is real quick. That is when I think all of this started to come unglued. And it took a case that was outside of California to do it. And I'm not surprised by that. So the these two attorneys, David Lira being Tom Girardi's son-in-law, Keith Griffin being another attorney at the firm, are both now being brought up before the State Bar of California on disciplinary actions to disbar them. Both of those were filed in June of 2023, and there are two matters pending against David Lira, one matter pending against Keith Griffin. The Griffin matter is all related to the Lion Air crash, telling clients that the money was coming even though the money was already in, and all of the same stuff that we've covered for so long. But as we got to the David Lira stuff, there's also allegations that David Lira lied under oath during the order to show causes before Judge Durkin in Illinois. So it's in addition to lying to clients about their settlement money, not telling clients where the settlement money was, there's also allegations that he lied to the court directly during an order to show cause hearing. So right now we are looking at count nine of one of David Lira's two actions before the California State Bar. 
On or about December 8, 2021, during an evidentiary hearing in the Lion Air matter to determine whether respondents should be held in contempt for misappropriation of the client's family's funds, respondent gave the following false testimony in response to questions posed to him by Judge Durkin. Question, had this occurred in the past in your experience at Girardi Keys, where there had been delays between the funding of a settlement or verdict in the payout to the clients? The only... The only case I remember where there was a delay, it was because there was an MSA issue, a Medicare set-aside issue, and multiple Medi-Cal, and the client wasn't happy enough with the speed of the delivery of the settlement. That's the only case I remember out of thousands. So out of thousands, this is the only one, as far as you know, where you had a delay of, at this stage, a month and a half. Answer, as far as I'm aware, that's correct. The state bar goes on to say in their allegations that respondent knew that his testimony was false at the time he gave it because respondent knew of other client matters where there had been a delay between the funding of a settlement or verdict and the payout to a client, including but not limited to the pending incomplete payment and settlement funds owed to the Girardi firm's former client, Joseph Rugomez, whose case against PG&E settled in 2013, the payment of settlement funds on or about March 11th 2020 to respondent's client Caesar Castillo in his personal injury matter, which settled in or about October 2019. The payment of settlement funds on or about April 8, 2020 to respondent's clients in a mass tort case against TXI Riverside Cement and related entities, which settled in or about 2018. The payment of settlement funds on or about April 30th, 2020 to respondent's client Oliver Berry in a civil matter, which settled on or about May 2019. So they're saying, hey, what about all these clients that didn't get paid on time? What about them? By falsely testifying under oath during the evidentiary hearing on or about December 8th, 2021, he was aware of only that he was aware of only a single prior incident of the Girardi firm delaying by at least one month and a half to pay a client respondent committed an act or acts involving moral turpitude, dishonesty, or corruption in willful violation of BMP Section 6106. It goes on. But what else we learned from the disbarment proceedings is that there were times where Girardi owed the Lion Air clients over $2 million, and the $2 million had funded to Girardi Keys, and their accounts were overdrawn by thousands and thousands of dollars. So as we are talking about where did the money go, this is part of what's being alleged by the state bar who's had a chance to now audit these accounts. Shouldn't these accounts be audited regularly? Yes. How did that not happen here? Well, if you followed my other coverage, it seems, well, malfeasance inside the state bar. So continuing on, the state bar says by on or about May of 2020, other than the 40000 paid to Dion as a loan, quote unquote loan to the client, the client families, these are the clients, the client families of Lion Air, uh, the Lion Air crash, had not received any portion of their settlement funds and informed respondent that they wanted him to pay the settlement funds that they were entitled to receive. Remember, this is about $2 million total that had been paid from Boeing to be distributed amongst these clients. On or about May 11th, 2020, the client families were wired partial payments of their settlement funds from the respondent's CTA to their respective financial institutions. That was client trust account. Respondent was also aware of these partial payments at the time that they were made. 
and knew that full disbursements were not promptly made as required by the miners' settlement orders because a lot of these clients were, in fact, miners who had lost parents in the air disaster. Between on or about March 4th and on or about June 13th, 2020, the following transfers of funds, excluding the confidential settlement funds pertaining to the client's families, were made into and from the client trust account. Deposits totaling $4.7 million, excluding the client settlement funds, and disbursements totaling $5.4 million, excluding disbursements made to the settlement funds, including $1.7 million in attorney's fees and costs relating to Lion Air. So the legal fees came out. The other money came out. Taking into account that the respondent's client trust account maintained a negative balance of $54,000 on March 4th prior to the receipt of any of the client family settlement funds. From on or about March 4th to June 13th, 2020, the client trust account was overdrawn by $743,000 because none of the $5.4 million withdrawn from the client trust account included disbursements made to the client families. The client family settlement funds were used to pay the $743,000 imbalance. How are people out here rolling around overdrawn by $740,000-plus? thousand dollars. When the money comes in from your cl- for your client, you take out your attorney's fees and costs and you pay your client. So we have learned even more from the allegations by the state bar from them going through these trust accounts that should have been audited but weren't because Tom Girardi had people at the state bar that were loyal to him. And the settlement funds were being used to cover other debts to others. But how did it get that far in debt in the first place. I wish I had the answer, but what we do have is more topics to cover after this break for our sponsor. Thanks to Jenny Kane for their support of today's episode of The Emily Show. Jenny Kane is your one-stop shop for handcrafted furniture and home decor. It's perfect for refreshing your home space this summer. So whether you're just looking to freshen up your pillows for some new throws when the air conditioning gets a little too chilly, or just some new candles to make it feel like a new season, or maybe a little bit of a vacay, even if it's a staycay. Jenny Kane is worth the investment because it's built to last. The award-winning candles are hand-poured in Los Angeles and They are inspired by the smells of California. You can find your forever pieces with a 15% discount at jennykane.com slash home and use code LAWNARD. That's 15% off your entire order with code LAWNARD, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com slash home and use code LAWNARD for 15% off your order. All right, let's get back to today's episode. I'm just mad about all of this, and I don't want to continue ranting that I'm mad about all of this, but so many things went wrong to allow this to happen to the Girardi clients. And I understand so much their frustration of watching this man live out a lavish lifestyle on television while for seasons, people are cheering on Erica Jane singing It's Expensive to Be Me. And these clients are living knowing that they have not been paid what they are owed. I can't imagine what a slap in the face that would feel like if you're sitting on the other side of the TV watching your lawyer live it up, knowing that you are fighting 
to get paid what you are entitled to through a settlement and a settlement because the unthinkable has happened to you. These are catastrophic injury clients who have done nothing wrong. They were living their life. Awful shit happened. And the law compensates for that with money. And then he stole it. And then they had to watch it parade around on TV. But at least people are getting disbarred. We've seen action with the state bar. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the California state bar because the California state bar has now instituted a snitch rule. Yes, that's what it's colloquially called. Other jurisdictions have this rule. The state of California was one of very few jurisdictions that did not have a snitch rule. And let's talk about now the fact that in California, you need to snitch on other attorneys. Yes, that's what it's called. Uh, This is coming from Law 360. California Supreme Court approves attorney snitch rule. The California Supreme Court approved an ethics rule that would require lawyers in the state to report to regulators misconduct by their professional peers that includes criminal acts, fraud, or the misappropriation of funds or property. In a rule on Wednesday, and this happened in June of this year, in an order Wednesday, the California Supreme Court, seven judges unanimously approved Rule 8.3 of the California Rules of Professional Conduct, which in similar fashion to rules adopted by the ABA and 49 other states requires lawyers who have credible evidence that an attorney is engaging in misconduct to report it to the state bar. Called by some attorneys the snitch rule, to man- the mandate also specifies that it applies only to violations of California and federal law, noting that violations of other state laws or foreign laws that are legal in California aren't considered criminal acts. Quote, we are grateful to the California Supreme Court for quickly refining and approving the attorney reporting rules advanced by the state bar. The California Bar Board Chair Ruben Duran said in a statement Thursday, this new Rule 8.3 will further our mission to aid the state bar in the investigation of misconduct and provide California with a similar rule that is in place in every other state in the nation. Do you know why California didn't have a snitch rule? Because it was long believed before Girardi that if another attorney is doing something wrong and you have to report it, you could potentially lose an advantage for your client. And your duty, first and foremost, was to your client. But I think there needs to be a duty to the profession at the whole, to justice as a whole, and to doing right as a whole, because we are, as attorneys, required to you know, point things out to the court, but we weren't required in California until now to report other attorneys for their wrongdoing. But you are an officer of the court. And so this rule that you could be an officer of the court, but if you knew another attorney was doing something improper that you didn't have to report it because you might be able to game that for your client was an interesting quirk of only California. And California, in the wake of Girardi Keese, has now remedied that. And now the rules of professional conduct in California are more aligned with the rules of professional conduct, you know, everywhere else. I'm not surprised. California has changed quite a bit since the Girardi case. When I do my, um, when I do my uh, renewal of my bar membership, there were a lot more questions about client trust accounts. Let me tell you what, a lot more questions. The California bar has taken away quite a lot from this. Um, 
and and made some much needed changes, though I don't know if they're doing it because they want to or because they have to. And with that, the State Bar also settled with the LA Times. The LA Times had sued the State Bar for transparency in information regarding the Girardi case. And the State Bar has released um, their investigative report. I've covered that in my live streams. But the LA Times was trying to figure out how many complaints there had been against Tom Girardi. Well, there were um, hundreds of them. And if you want to if you want to just be angry more, you can go through that coverage. But the State Bar also agreed to pay over $138,000 of the legal fees for the LA Times in their settlement, now agreeing to disclose how often the State Bar had opened investigations into Tom Girardi, how often Tom Girardi had been reported for taking client funds and nothing had been done. So the LA Times, we are not done with their reporting digging into this, but that settlement agreement really indicates that the State Bar knew um, that this was not going to go well for them and they were going to have to turn over this information. And then they released it, uh, some of it redacted, but they released it on their own. And finally, let's talk a bit about what's going on in the California Criminal Court with regard to Tom Girardi's competency. Before the case can move forward, it has to be determined whether or not the case can move forward or whether Tom Girardi is legally incompetent to stand trial for the criminal indictments against him in California, alleging the theft from clients to the tune of $15 million. So what I had covered in live stream was the back and forth of a report from the defense and how much of that would be given over to the prosecution. The prosecution was saying, this report is so redacted that we can't prepare for the competency hearing. So on July 7th, the court ordered that that unredacted report be lodged with the court in camera so that the court can review what's been redacted and decide what gets turned over to the prosecution. Quote, to the extent Dr. Uh, Darby finds the need to reference the redacted material in the Goldstein report and his own rebuttal report consistent with paragraph 4B3 of the court's order for mental competency evaluation, Dr. Darby's report shall be provided to the defense prior to the report being provided to the government for the purpose of making any necessary redactions. Similarly, the government may request an in-camera review of any disputed redactions. So the court is working with them on those redactions and the court will have it so that both sides can argue the competency here. And while the competency is being argued, there are also motions with regard to expert testimony. So back at the end of June, the government filed a motion to exclude certain expert testimony when we get to the competency hearing at the end of August. And the defense is objecting, saying that it is a proper expert. What really caught the media attention was the prosecution saying, but this is not an expert who's qualified in malingering. And the note that the government reports had found that Tom Girardi is competent. So when we get to this competency hearing at the end of August, the experts for the prosecution are saying that Tom Girardi is legally competent. That doesn't mean he does not have Alzheimer's in some way but it means that he is legally competent to go forward with criminal proceedings in this court. And then we know that the defense experts have found that he is not 
competent then to stand trial because otherwise (laughs) we wouldn't have much of a competency hearing going forward without a battle of the experts. And while all of that was going on, there is also a battle back and forth over whether or not things will be filed in a redacted way or not a redacted way. And there was a line in one of the motions that I thought was pretty funny that we're going to have to go forward with. The defense is arguing that everything should be filed or that these particular things should be filed under seal and says in their reply in support of their motion after the government opposition that the court has repeatedly ordered that documents related to Mr. Tom Girardi's competency proceedings be filed under seal without requiring the parties to publicly file redacted versions of such documents. What normally happens when stuff is under seal and what is much more helpful to us is if there is a redacted version filed publicly so you can see most of the motion and then some things are taken out and then the court gets a a version that is sealed and not redacted. But what the defense is saying is the court has allowed us to file things under seal with no public version being filed at all. And the government has switched their position. They go on to say, indeed, just last month, the government asked to file an expert report under seal without publicly filing a redacted version, even though the government knew it contained information that was already public. Report of government experts citing publicly available media, including YouTube and Law 360. So they're very aware. Hi, we're YouTube. They're very aware of the conversations being had about this case. They go on to say, nevertheless, the government now reverses its courts and asked the court to order the public filing of a redacted version of the defense competency motion solely because some information contained in the motion is already public footnote one. The government does not dispute that non-public information contained in the defense's competency motion should be filed under seal. The court should reject this argument and grant the defense's application to file its competency motion under seal. If necessary, the court can assess such a decision after hearing on the motion, meaning after the competency hearing next month. The court may later unseal the filing and or order the person who made the filing to file a redacted version for the public. Argument. First, the court has already determined on three occasions that competency-related expert reports should be filed under seal without requiring the public filing of redacted reports. The instant application concerns a motion that relies heavily on those sealed reports. The motion also relies heavily on medical information that courts in this district routinely permit to be filed under seal and that Mr. Girardi has a legally recognizable interest in keeping private because it's medical documents. Second, the government's argument is meritless. Quote, at common law, there is a strong presumption in favor of access to information filed with a court to overcome the presumption a party seeking to seal a judicial record must demonstrate not just good cause, but compelling reasons or sufficient important countervailing interests. Generally speaking, compelling reasons exist when the court records might have become a vehicle for improper purpose, such as to gratify private spite, promote public scandal, commit libel, or release trade secrets. And they are quoting from Inri Roman Catholic Archbishop of Portland in Oregon. But it's interesting that they're like, look, Your Honor, there is a lot of compelling reasons, including medical privacy, but including private spite, promotion of public scandal, libel, or trade secrets. They go on to say Girardi has sufficiently important countervailing interests to support his application. On one hand, the government has failed to identify any important public interest that would be advanced by the public filing of information that is already public. So they're using the government's argument against them. If they already know, then they don't need to know. 
On the other hand, courts have held that where an extraordinary level of publicity has been made exceptionally difficult, the selection of a jury and has created a circus atmosphere around the trial or where the administrative and mechanical difficulties attending inspection and copying would disrupt the progress of the proceeding, denial of access to judicial records may be warranted. So again, Your Honor, there's risk that this case could become a circus. It's garnered a lot of publicity. Consistent with these principles, Mr. Girardi has important interest in one, preserving defense counsel's time so that they may adequately prepare his defense, meaning we can't just redact all this shit, Two, protecting against the risk that publicity will compromise his right to a fair trial if one is ultimately necessary. They're not conceding that a trial is proper because they're not conceding that he is competent for trial. Combing through extensive media coverage of Mr. Girardi to distinguish public and non-public information would needlessly distract from the substantive matters being litigated, especially where the purported benefit of doing so is ensuring public access to information that is already public. I mean, you can kind of see their point. Notably, the government did not take any time or make any effort to specifically identify the pages of the defense's competency motion that it believes should be publicly available. And then it goes on to say that the court should let everything stand or seal. And that's where we're at. Because so far, everything with regard to the competency hearing and the competency motions are under seal. All we have seen um, is the few things with regard to what will be redacted or not. Oh, I forgot the, I forgot the last line. I'm sorry. I forgot the last line. More importantly, this matter has already received extensive media coverage due to Mr. Girardi's prior prominence in the legal profession and his prior marriage to a reality television star. In the event a trial is ultimately necessary, the court should protect Mr. Girardi's right to a fair trial by declining to encourage scandal-driven media coverage at this time. It is the most shocking legal scandal in in like the universe it is it it, can i say that anymore after girardi what is more shocking i don't know or after murdoch are they both just shocking should we not be surprised that the richer are are doing this or i am still staggered by the 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 amount and the length of time that tom girardi is alleged to have been stealing from clients, the decades of reports to the state bar, the corruption that allowed this to happen, and then that it all played out on reality TV in real time, all of it is still shocking to me. But I don't know which one's more shocking, Gerardi or Murdoch. I truly don't. Um, So far, no murder is alleged with regard to Girardi, but more money is alleged with regard to Girardi. Murdoch wasn't on reality TV. But then again, there's a lot of suspicious deaths and two murder convictions involved in Murdoch. So I don't know. I don't know. But I want you to tell me um, in this episode what you think. I am not surprised the defense is saying we can't get into this for the scandal. But I also really want to see what they're arguing with regard to competency. And I hope some of those do become publicly available. I hope that the hearing is open to the public and we know what is argued at this competency hearing at the end of August. And with that, we're at the end of a wild ride with the Girardi catch-up. You have to let me know what you thought of today's episode. I will be doing more catch-up podcasts to get back up to speed on the cases that kind of took a little bit of a pause during our last few trials and everything going on in Idaho and Utah. So with that, 
Lawnards, grab a glass, raise it with me. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May you be able to trust the people around you and enjoy the Real Housewives the way that you could back when they were just fighting, I don't know, over simpler things, text messages and Lucy Lucy Apple Juicy. Can we get back to that? Because these scandals are heavy and there are so many people harmed in the wake. May your families be well and may the odds be ever in your favor. I appreciate you for being here, Lawner, and I will talk to you in the next one. You can find more Lawnard goodness in our private Lawnard community over at lawnardsunite.com. And if you want to stay up to date with everything I'm covering, you can follow me on social media at the Emily D. Baker. I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I recap those streams for those of you a little pressed for time over on the Quick Bits podcast and Quick Bits YouTube channel. Thanks for being a Lawnard. <laughs>